All right, good evening, everybody. We're going to be in Exodus 27 and 28, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 27 and 28. Lord, we thank you so much for this evening and able to come together to study your word, to receive from you and your Holy Spirit, whatever you have for us individually, but also as a church. And we pray that you'd hide these things in our heart, keep them in our heart, help us to understand them, and that we'd be able to use them this week, or at least be changed. Uh, Maybe there's nothing to use, but just to personally change inside and have a better understanding of who you are. That's what we want. And so we pray that you'd be with us, with the children, and the Sunday school teachers or Wednesday school teachers that are going to be sharing their hearts and your word with the little ones. I pray that you'd fill them with your spirit and help them both to teach and to understand and keep them safe. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We will be breaking in throughout the teaching to find out which states have finally been uh, okayed by, uh, for Trump. Um, all of them. That's right. It should really all be red. I don't know what, they got the colors wrong or something. No, these are, this is a really special chapter. I say that every time, but it really, really is. It's the altar of burnt offering tonight. We've been going through the, well, the instructions by God to show his people how to build this beautiful tabernacle. And there's way more going on here than a, than a tent, obviously. And we've hit on a lot of it. But just to keep our minds focused as we go through this burnt offering or this burnt altar that's made of bronze, let me read to you John chapter 1, verse 14, so that we keep in mind that everything we read has to do with Jesus Christ. Everything. The volume of the book is written of me. Everything they see, the nation of Israel, everything they do is pointing them to their Messiah and what he would do for them and how he lives for them, and what he's going to accomplish in his life. Every bit in peace and furniture and tent and fabric and color, all of it has to do with Jesus Christ. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt there in the Hebrew is tabernacled. Tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The writer John there, as he's going through that first chapter of his book about his Savior, the love of his life, and I can say that because that's how John considered the disciple in whom Jesus loved, is how he describes himself throughout his book. Tries to take the reader, whoever it may be, because we know that from later on in his writing that this book is written that you might believe, takes them from the beginning, and the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and the Word was, and became flesh and dwelt among us. And he's trying to bring them. The Word is Jesus all the way through there. And so as he describes this to whoever might be reading, probably Hebrew, definitely Gentile, but some of the Hebrews would have been reading it also. He's explaining to them that the tabernacle, when he says that, the Word of God dwelt, tabernacled among us, the tabernacle is all about him. And they would have all been Wheels are spinning in their brains. The tabernacle, that's, that's interesting. And, and so we, we need to get into that place as we're reading through this, as 
Gentiles who didn't experience the tabernacle, never experienced the temple. As we're reading about these two things, it's not about those two things. It's about our Savior. And that's why we study these things. It helps us to understand him. And so this altar of burnt offering that we finally get to tonight is one of the last pieces of furniture that we're going to see, and we're going to spend some time on it tonight. Verse 1, you shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide, so a square. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. Not gold, not silver, but bronze. Gold representing deity or God. Silver representing redemption, and we saw that in the sockets earlier. But bronze represents sin. Also, you shall make its pans to receive its ashes, its shovels, and its basins, and its forks, and its fire pans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze. And on the network, you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put it in under the rim of the altar beneath that the network maybe midway up the altar, so it's about halfway in there, this grate. You shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings, and the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar to bear it. You shall make it hollow with boards, as it was shown you on the mountain. So shall they make it. It's our last piece of furniture here. I want to take you through this so that we can kind of pull it all together because we've been studying bits and pieces, you know, and, and talking about them. But you've got a tent city here all laid out. And in the center of this tent city of the nation of Israel is this tabernacle, the place of worship, the place where intercession is being made for them. The smoke would rise up, the Shekinah glory would come down, and that would be its light, and that would be the smoke, and that would be the, the hub of the whole gang there. They would walk by this frequently. They would see it from whatever tent you're at. You could see that smoke going up in the daytime. You could see that light at night. It would be everything to them. They would gauge everything off of it. They'd set it up first and set up their tents based off of its direction and orientation. That's how they knew where to put their tents. That's how they knew their place was wherever that altar was. That's where they were to be. They would walk by that, and to all they would see, for the most part, which we're going to discuss in the next chapter, is this, well, in the chapter, but the next section is the, the white curtain that would go all the way around, and they wouldn't necessarily see all the stuff inside. But if they were to go through that gate, the one gate, the single gate, they would first thing they'd see was this altar. They'd see this big bronze square altar, where the smoke would rise up and where the sacrifice and there was no way for them to see or to go beyond or to move past. You couldn't walk around it. The first thing they'd see is this bronze altar. It's the place where the sacrifices would be offered up, animal after animal for sins. We've been talking about the nice stuff. We've been talking about the the covering on top of the tabernacle, and how inside was that white, beautiful linen with all the intricate, uh, you know, uh, 
needlepoint or whatever they used to make all those beautiful angels and everything inside, but you couldn't see it unless you were inside the tabernacle. That was the problem. Because on the outside, as you go through the layers, you'd have this black covering, the waterproof layer, and so on. So nobody from the outside could see all that. Only the people on the inside could see that. For them to get to that place, that tabernacle, which represents Jesus Christ, you had to be in Christ to see the beauty, to see the light, to understand the bread, to see the altar of incense, to become and be a part of that the, the throne of God right on the other side of that curtain that was ripped from top to bottom. Nobody else could see that. You could walk around that white curtain, you could be near it, but nobody could see the inside unless they were, unless they were the high priest, unless they were a priest, unless they were authorized. There was no way to get to that place until you met this bronze altar. It's our walk with the Lord. It's the beginning it's our maintenance. It's everything. The first thing you do when you become a believer is you have to be confronted with your sin. You have to know that I have sin. I've got problems. There has to be a sacrifice. I can't go around it. I can't dodge it. I can't go right into the door. I have to deal with my sin first before I can come in and see the beauty. And after you do that and you offer up your sacrifices and your sins are forgiven, you can walk in to this beauty of the holy place. Not the holy of holies yet, but the holy place. And when you'd walk in, you'd see, oh, beautiful. This is amazing. And that's what it's like when you come to Christ. You try to explain to people as a believer, you understand this. You try to explain to them, there's such a beautiful experience in Christ. You have no idea the freedom you'll have, the, the light. The, you'll understand everything will go from, you do the best you can from black and white to color. You use all the words you can to try to explain the experience that you've had. And they look at you, you know? Mm-hmm. And most of them want to see it before they believe it. And it just doesn't work that way. You've got to believe before you can see. You have to. It's got to be by faith. You've got to come to the altar and recognize your sin first. Before you can enter in to Christ. You've got to understand your sin. You have to be confronted with that. There's no peeking. The white curtain represents the standard of God. It's white, it's tall, it's all the way around. There's only one gate to get through, and that gate's the same color as the gate to the temple, as the gate to the screen there before the throne of God. It's all the same. It's all Christ. It's an amazing thing. So you get there, so you do all that, and you walk in, you accept your sin, you understand that it's kept you from God, you offer up the sacrifice, you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you move in, now that you're a priest, Jesus calls us that, we're kings and priests, we go into Christ, and we enter into the tabernacle, and we look, we see it is, it's amazing, it's beautiful, there's the light, there's the Holy Spirit, there's Jesus, the bread of life, there's the altar of incense where he ever lives to make intercession for us night and day before the throne of God. We get it all. We understand it. John chapter 8, verse 12 says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's that beautiful 
candelabra, we would call it. That's what we Gentiles would call it, but it's a menorah. It's the lampstand on the, well, your left, my right. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And that would be on your right-hand side when you come in, the table of showbread, which represents fellowship, constant fellowship with the Lord. And in front of you, you'd have that altar of incense that we described, Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That altar of incense is where the prayers of the priests would go up, and our high priest Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. It's all about him. And now you think you're a, you're a priest now. Tables have turned. You no longer have somebody doing that for you. You're now helping other people come in, taking them to the altar of bronze, helping them to recognize their sin, and so on. Imagine you're Levi. Levi the priest. You grew up as a little boy like every other little boy. Your dad was a priest. You're going to be a priest. Dad had come home exhausted. You'd wonder, you know, can you play? Can you play catch or whatever? And dad's like, man, I mean. And dad's decompressing after the day. Little Levi doesn't understand that, doesn't understand what dad's been through for the most part. But as this little Levi gets older and gets excited for his first turn to be a priest in his rotation, which we've talked about, and he shows up and he gets to kill his first animal, his first goat, bull, lamb, depending on the sacrifice. Could have been a lot of different animals, but it's his first chance. How exciting that would have been. And as the month goes by, though, goat after goat, bull after bull, lamb after lamb, you start understanding why dad came home so tired. And you no longer see the tent camp like you used to. You walk through the tent, you see somebody sinning, and you understand that's a goat. You see another person doing something else, that's a bull. You no longer pass by the sins that used to not affect you anymore, greatly affect you. Because you're the one offering up the sacrifices, killing lamb after lamb, understanding the price that's being exacted as you walk around the tent camp. And that's a little bit of Christian fatigue. You ever wonder why you hate sin so much as we should? It's nauseating to us. It's tiring. You wish people would understand. You wish they'd stop. How can you keep doing that? Don't you understand what's happening? Most don't. Most don't. Little Levi gets tired and comes home from work now just like Dad does. And now you know why God and Jesus, when he came and tabernacled among us, was so emphatic. I love the fact that he forgave and didn't throw a stone or didn't allow anybody else to throw stones at the woman who was caught in adultery. But don't forget the second part of that conversation. Go and sin no more. Sin is hated by God. All sin is hated by God. He hates all of it, all the time. He's never okay with sin. We love that scripture. If 
if God's people or whoever would call, and I'm going to butcher it, but you get the point, would humble themselves and pray and seek his face. And we, we, we know the first part, well, a pastor should, but I don't, but you know, you can look it up. There's a middle part in there that says, if they'll turn from their wicked ways, I'll heal their land. We, we go right from the just seeking his face to he's going to heal our land, and we forget that middle part. You can't go around the bronze altar. As a nation, I can't say, yeah, we're kind of okay with our sin. We just need you to heal our land, please. You can't bypass that. As a country, as a person, yes, seek his face. Yes, come in to the court where you might be able to be forgiven if you confess your sins and lay them at the altar and apply the proper sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You know? And then, God, would you heal our land? But we cannot expect him to bless sin. Which brings me to my rant for the evening. I cannot understand these Christians. And I'm going to call out the Christians because the world doesn't understand. But I will call out the Christians because they should understand. I, I called out the... Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, certain pastor, bigwig, said at the end of the day, remember, Jesus doesn't come back riding on a donkey or an elephant. He comes back on a horse. And so hopefully we can get back to saving lives and saving souls. That's the most ignorant statement I've ever heard a pastor say. Of course he doesn't come back on a democratic donkey, which is what he's getting at because of the election. Of course he doesn't come back on an elephant. But I responded to that saying, this is what righteousness and standing up for righteousness looks like. This is what a non-lukewarm church looks like. We're not sidetracked. Please reach across the aisle at the end of the day and remember that you're, you know, brothers and sisters and all that. I'm like, okay. I understand that, but unity for unity's sake is foolish and it's not biblical. I tried to explain it. And what if slavery was on the ballot or the continuation of slavery was on the ballot yesterday? Would we have said the same thing at the end of the day? We're all good friends. Can't we just let bygones be bygones and let those slaves still be enslaved? Of course not. Of course that's not okay. Of course I'm not going to be happy that slavery is going to, and we're going to continue to beat and whip human beings so they can be our minions. Of course that's not okay. I just wonder if Christians understood what was on the ballot yesterday. We have the opportunity, had the opportunity, who knows where we're at right now, to end abortion or at least get a shot at it. But at the end of the day, can't we just reach across the table with those who disagree with our position on slaughtering infants throughout the world? No. No, it's not okay. It's a big deal. 
Of course, it's a secondary deal to saving souls. I understand that. And we go on with our mission and our calling, but there are moments in time and history and places that for such a time as this, our little vapor of life, yeah, is called to be the fragrance of Christ. And yesterday was our day. So hopefully we we were effective. So you have to believe before you can get into the tabernacle. You first have to come to the altar and offer up the sacrifice. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, Jesus being that one sacrifice that finally does that, everything else pointing to that. In John chapter 11, verse 40, as he was about to raise up Lazarus, he said to the gals, he said to her specifically, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? It's got to come first. You've got to believe that he is before you can be forgiven. You have to come to him. And so this bronze altars is a big deal because you don't go anywhere else in that whole complex until you run into that first and deal with things first. The high priest can't do anything. The other priest can't do anything. You can't do anything as a Gentile or anybody else until that is dealt with. That sin has to be dealt with. Holiness, holiness, holiness. This is not a, it's not passe. Everything about this is to point to holiness. You can't come in. You can't come close. You can't do this. You can't do that. There's a veil. There's a separation. There's so much you can't do. You can't come up on the mountain. There's so many things we, because we're not holy, because we're impure, because we have sin. And for that fellowship and everything to come to pass and to happen and to be fulfilled, we have to come to that bronze altar that we just described. It's a picture of what our Messiah is, not only as a whole, Spiritually speaking, right now, any person, human being, cannot come into that place of fellowship with God without coming to the sacrifice. First, we've got to come to the cross. And that's where we take people. We have to take people there first. Not come in and check out the beautiful camera system we got, or check out our children's ministry, or check out our snacks. We got snacks. That's okay to bring them for those reasons, and but they're not coming to Christ that way. They've got to come to the realization of their sin first. Always, always, always. We can be friendly to seekers. That's okay to be friendly to seekers. We want that. But not so seeker-friendly that we forget to take them to the bronze altar or to think and let them believe that there's no need for the bronze altar in their life. They have to have that. Verse 9. You shall make the cord of the tabernacle. This is that white curtain I spoke of earlier that's all the way around. It's the south side. There shall be hangings for the court made of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long for one side. And it's 20 pillars, and their 20 sockets shall be bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be silver. Likewise, um, along the length of the north side, there shall be Uh, hangings 100 cubits long with its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets of bronze and hooks of the pillars and their 
bands of silver, so both sides equal in length. So it's a rectangle here. And along the width of the court, on the west side, shall be hangings of 50 cubits with their 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. The width of the court on the east side shall be 50 cubits. The hangings on one side shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and three sockets. And on the other side shall be hangings of 15 cubits with three pillars and their three sockets. For the gate of the court, that screen, 20 cubits long, woven of blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen made by the weaver. It shall have four pillars, the same colors as are used as the screen in front of to go into the holy place and also then also the, the, the curtain um, between the holy of holies and the holy place. So the same, same all the way through, continuity. It shall have four pillars and four sockets. All the pillars around the court shall have bands of silver. Their hooks shall be of silver. Their sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits and width 50 throughout and height five cubits. Pretty tall. Can't see over it. Made of fine woven linen. Just white all the way around. It's sockets of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle for all its service, all its pegs and pegs of the court shall be of bronze. And then he throws this in here. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. In the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. It's a reminder to bring that pure oil, that oil of the Holy Spirit. That's what causes us to burn brightly and to shine brightly to all those around us. Remember what Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. But he also said, then you're going to be the light of the world. Wherever we go. And that's why it was to our advantage that he go away so that he could send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to us. So now there's not just one light, but all of us now have the light of Christ in us, and we shine continually. But don't forget, it's pure oil of pressed olives. We shine brightest when we're walking in the Spirit. We're walking in obedience to God. We get dim, dirty. You've ever, you ever see that difference between clean burning fuel and non-clean? Some of you don't know the 70s. When we'd watch a semi go up the hill in Colorado following it, black smoke just flying everywhere. Maybe once in a while you'll catch one of those guys that don't have a catalytic converter on or whatever it is that they use to filter that stuff off that's that's required by federal law now. And once in a while you'll see one of those guys get by with it. Go to a drag race. Well, you're not going to go to a drag race, but you can YouTube it and see what it looks like when those trucks crank out, you know. Well, that's just inefficient and horrible, you know. As Christians, sometimes we're burning all right, but there's a lot of black smoke. He wants us pure, clean, bright. Doesn't mean you don't burn. You'll still shine your light. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that holiness is what you have to have in order to shine at all. No, I mean, we'd all be pretty dim bulbs if that were the case. But he does ask that. He does require that. Bring that pure oil. 
That holiness is never to be forgotten. That's why Christ came. To give us his righteousness. It's imputed to us. And then fills us with the Spirit. He gives us all the tools, all the rules, all the ways of escape, guidance, still small voice, all of that, so that we can avoid what? Sin. Disobedience to God. It's that important to him. All of it. And he wants us to walk in obedience to him. If you love me, you keep my commandments. He's not saying if you were saved, you keep my commandments, because we know, well, then none of us are saved because we blow it. But if you love me, in other words, it's not an act of love to disregard that holiness, that purity, that walking in the beauty of what he's conforming us into. That's that curtain. Chapter 28. Now take Aaron, your brothers, or your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithmar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans. I used to say artisans there because I didn't know the difference between the two words. English professor came up. He says, artisans is about water purification. Okay. And he'd walk down. I'm like, thanks. He never came back. But that's okay. I learned from him. I got something from him. Artisans. I had been mispronouncing it. So you artist folks out there, good for you. We like you. We need you. You need to find out and use those gifted artisans. Now, not every artist is gifted, and not every artist is filled with the Spirit. Remember, there's a lot of qualifying things there. We want artists, but they need to be filled with the Spirit. And whom I have filled with the Spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as, a, as priest. In other words, you just can't go out and do this. You need someone who's gifted to do this. Filled with wisdom by me, you know. And they have an artist's brain. They have an artist's mind. I've made them that way for that purpose. And it may take them a year and a half to make it. Some of you artists really got to get over yourselves, you know. These paintings that are going on for years, it's like, just call it good, you know. <laughs> Write your name on it and send it off. I know it's hard. I have an artist, several in our family. I'm not one. Use them to make these garments, consecrate these garments, set them apart for him. And these are the garments which they shall make, the breastplate, the ephod, the robe, the skillfully woven tunic, the turban, and the sash. A lot of stuff. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as a priest. I want him wearing all this because it's all going to show my son Jesus. So make sure it looks right. The ephod, let's start there. They shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen, just like what we've seen before. And they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen, artistically worked. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod, which is on it, shall be of the same workmanship, made of gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. A lot of artist renditions out there, so you can see what these might have looked like. We really don't know, but really pretty. 
And you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on one stone, six of their names on the other stone, in order of their birth, with the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet. You shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold, and you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as a memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. You shall also make settings of gold. You shall make the two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. And so here these things are up here resting on their shoulders, carrying, you know. This high priest is carrying the nation of Israel, carrying our names. He carries us before the Lord. The breastplate. It's a little, little square thing here. It's a, well, you'll read it. <laughs> He's pretty specific. You'll, you'll get a really good idea by the time we're done. You shall make the breastplate of judgment, it's called. Artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread. And fine woven linen, you shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square and spanch shall be its length and the span its width. So about, the span is that, from this finger to this finger there, so about 10 inches or so. So it's a little square. It shall be a span its width. You shall put settings of stones in it, four rows. So we're going to get all 12 tribes on here, each each tribe. So there's going to be three, 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 and three. So four rows of, of three across, okay? And it's a little square. You get it. He's going to describe them now. First row shall be Sardis, Topaz, and Emerald. So those are the first three. They get on top. And that's the first row. The second row shall be Turquoise, Sapphire, and Diamond. The third row, Jacinth, Agate, and Amethyst. And the fourth row will be Burl, Onyx, and Jasper. Every one of them different. Every single one of those stones different. And I smile at that because I look at you people and it's just... We're all different. Every one of us is so different. And so is the nation of Israel. Every one of those tribes had different purposes, different roles, responsibilities, different sizes. They were all just different, you know? And he carries it over his heart. That's where it's resting, right here. I carry that. Some of us think we're weird. Some of us think we wish we looked a little more like that person or acted a little more like this or the other. And Man, as I get older, I realize how weird I am, you know? Just a, kind of an odd duck. I know that. <laughs> you guys are like, oh, glad he sees it. I've been praying for years for him to see that. No, oh, I know. I know. I've always known. You know? I'm, I'm not. It's, it's kind of a personal issue that I'm resolving right here on the stage with all of you. <laughs> but when you read about this... God doesn't want one to be the other, obviously. And I don't want to make a, I don't want to spiritualize it too much, but there's there's a reason he uses a different stone for everyone. He doesn't use all emerald stones. Remember number, you know, grid coordinate two two, like it's a battleship or something. These guys are supposed to no. Every one of them's different. The priest would never have to look down because lights of perfection is what it's called. It'll actually light up. It's a whole other story. It's we'll go there some other time. But when they would ask about certain things, it it says that one of them would light up, and how that happened, we don't know. Of the Lord, obviously. But they wouldn't have any confusion. Oh, yeah, it's 
he's supposed to lead the army, you know, this time. This, this tribe's going and all different. And so remember that about yourself. Your backgrounds, your history. How come I didn't have a childhood like they had a childhood? How come I don't have that kind of hair when they have that kind of hair? How come I'm built like this? I don't know, but God certainly does. Every single one of us is so different. Even, even twins are different. Takes us a little time to figure you two out, but you're different, you know? Similarities. I'm so glad you're dressing differently now. Thank you for that. We all thank you for that. I don't know that it helps, but they probably still call you twin, don't they? Hey, twin. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. She said, preach. She says from the back row. But they're different, aren't they, Mandy? Different. We're all different. God likes that. He appreciates that about us. And we need to learn to appreciate that. You're not that person. You don't have that skill. You don't have that quality. You don't have that gift. But you do have this, this, and this, and nobody else has that. There's a specific purpose for that. You shall make chains of the breastplate at the end like the braided cords of pure gold. And you shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. Then you shall put the two braids of chains and gold and two rings. And I don't mean to read through this pretty quick, but it gets a little, okay. And you shall put the two braids of chains and the gold and the two rings and on the ends of the breastplate and on the other, other two ends of the two braids chains, you shall fasten the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front, which is what I need to know. I really need to get that last word. So here it hangs by some chain system, you know, here it is right in front of the heart, right on top of the shoulders, carries us, prays for us, loves us, intercedes for us. That's our Savior, this high priest's garment. You shall make two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate and on the edge of it, which is on the inner side of the ephod. And two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod towards its front right at the seam above the intricately woven band of ephod. I mean, specific stuff. I don't want it that way. I want it this way, he says. Okay. They shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod using the blue cord so that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. Don't want to lose them. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. He said that twice now. Now the Urim and Thummim, we don't know. We don't know. It's a couple rocks, we think. A couple stones. Some say one black, one white. We really don't know what they are. They use it, though, to find out and to discern the Lord's will, whatever they are. So he's given us a way by which we can discern the Lord's will. That's what those are for. I think the important part of that is he wears it over his heart. He says that twice. It's over Aaron's heart. It'll be over the heart before the Lord. God has a heart for us. You shall make the robe, I'm moving on to the robe, of the ephod, all of blue. There shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. So like a 
serape or something. Well, no, not a serape. What do they call that when you throw it over your poncho or something? That's what it looks like. It shall have a woven binding all around its opening, so a reinforced neck, like the opening in the coat of mail, so that it does not tear. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates, so it's long, a blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem, and bells of gold between them all around. Just in case you didn't understand that, he says, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem of the robe all around. That shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, when he comes out, that he may not die. And there's our clue. This is what the bells are for. We talked about that bronze altar. Well, later on we're going to read about what these priests have to do. They have to go in and offer up certain sacrifices, do certain things before they can become the high priest and go into the holy place, into the holy of holy places, and do all the things that they need to do. And only they could go in one time a year, Yom Kippur, is when they would go in for the Day of Atonement for the sins of the nation. Well, if they bypass that bronze altar and they throw on their garment with the bells on it, that's how they knew the priest was still doing what he was doing in there because he was the only one that could go in there is that the bells are moving. Ding, ding, you know. Bells are good. Silence is bad. That means he's dead. Because God says if you come into my presence and you're not prepared and you haven't, taken the proper, you haven't done the proper sacrifices, you die. Josephus tells us that at Jesus' time, when the priest, the high priest would go in, and the bells and the whole thing, and he'd done his thing, they'd tie a rope on his ankle. So they could pull him out if he's dead. It happened that many times that they'd have to add this rope process to it. Hmm. Instead of doing what you need to do. So where are the bells? We want to hear those bells. We want to know that he's still alive and still making intercession for us and doing what he's supposed to do. You shall also make the plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet. Holiness to the Lord. I want that written there. Holiness to the Lord. You shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. So he would wear it right there. Holiness to the Lord. Don't forget holiness. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts, and it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Our high priest, holiness. You shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen, and you shall make the sash of woven work. For Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics, and you shall make sashes for them, and you shall uh, make hats for them. So a little different garb, a little less ornate, for the glory and beauty. So you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them. That's with the oil being poured over, you know, their heads, and it would drip down Aaron's beard. Consecrate them, set them apart for the purposes of God, and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. 
Holy underwear there. These are the only guys who are supposed to wear that, by the way. We don't need to still be wearing that stuff today. It's a, another topic for another time. They shall be on Aaron and his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place. That they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. And that's where we're going to close tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the details. We need details. We need the understanding of what you want, what you expect. Help us to hear, though. I don't want you to have to repeat it. I know you do, but I want to be a good son. I want to, we want to be good daughters to be able to hear and to understand and to comprehend what you want from us, what you desire for us. To have that holiness is to have our best life. To live in obedience to you is, is, is the greatest. And your son walked that walk for us to see it. He tabernacled among us in case we were confused as to what it looked like to be a holy child of yours. He did it for us so that we could watch and see and learn and imitate what it would look like in a day-to-day life walking with your son Jesus would be amazing. I mean, we read it. We can experience it now. You filled us with your spirit. If we just hear and then do, and we'd have this great walk with you and an obedient son and obedient daughter walking in holiness in the midst of this world. If your son did it by the power of your Holy Spirit and showed us how to do it, we can do it too if we'd walk that way. So Lord, help us to hear this week. Help us to desire that holiness in our walk with you, that we would hear your still small voice saying, go this way, go that way, stop, move, whatever it may be. Speak to this person, keep quiet. That we might walk in that obedience to you and see what that's like. Bring opportunities for ministry, Lord. Help us to see those opportunities of ministry and to walk in those good works which you prepared for us. Whether that's to people close to us, and I think that's where I miss the most. I'm always looking for some stranger or some random thing to happen when I'm out and about, but it's in my home. It's with my spouse. It's with my kids. It's with people I know and are familiar with. There's opportunities. Lord, help me to see those. Bless these folks as they go tonight. Thank you for our kids. See them out there playing. We thank you for this place where they can play. And uh, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.